Hi, and welcome to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss important issues related to ministry leadership today. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and today I'd like to teach you about the ways that God calls. Now, this is the second of a three-part series on God's call. Uh, In the first podcast, we talked about a definition of God's call and three types of call experiences described in the Bible. But today, I want to focus on the ways that God calls. In other words, how does God communicate a call to us? Now, these three categories I'm going to describe today are uh, categories of des- that are descriptive of how God calls. I want to caution you from the beginning not to be too rigid about these. Sometimes there's some overlap in the two or three of them working together. In fact, I like to say these calls, these categories have soft edges. And so while I'm going to speak about each one of them distinctly and lay out some biblical foundation and give you an illustration for each one, Uh, I also recognize that even in the illustrations I'm going to give, there's some uh, merging, if you will, of some of these categories as God works with us. God uh, cannot be categorized. He can be described, and his processes and ways can be categorized, but let's recognize that a call is a spiritual experience that's far more dynamic than can be uh, reduced to a spreadsheet format. But today, talking about three ways God calls as we find them in the Bible and as we look at them in the experiences of believers today. The first way that God calls is through what I would describe as a sudden experience, or I sometimes might also call this a crisis experience. Now, there are many biblical examples of God's call arriving in the midst of a sudden experience. For example, in the Old Testament, Uh, Moses encountered God at a burning bush, and in that bush, or or from that, uh, from God's presence in the bush, received a specific call which established the direction for his life. In the New Testament, a good example is Paul on the Damascus Road. In that moment, he had a uh, experience with a blinding light and a booming voice, and it was a sudden encounter with God intersecting his life in an unexpected and profound way. Now, The burning bush and the Damascus Road are both uh, very sudden and very dramatic experiences and certainly would fall into the category of what we might describe as a crisis experience or a spiritual crisis experience. But let me give you another one from the New Testament which fits the same category which isn't quite as dramatic. And that's in Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus uh, addressed Matthew at the tax collection booth. Their exchange was quite simple. Jesus said, follow me, and the Bible says Matthew got up and followed him. Now that is just as sudden, but perhaps not quite as dramatic as the burning bush and the Damascus road. Now the reason I like to add this illustration, or this, this, this biblical illustration, to the mix is because I think sometimes uh, persons are concerned that they've not really experienced God or experienced God's call if they haven't had some kind of uh, supernatural, emotional, uh, overwhelming moment of experience with God. And while that is often the case, it doesn't have to be the case. Your situation may be as matter-of-fact as Matthew's where you simply became convinced that God was calling and you got up and followed him. So the first way that God calls is through sudden experience. Now, I've had one of these kind of call experiences myself. A number of years ago, uh, I was serving as a pastor in the Pacific Northwest, 
and was working in a church where I had, that I had actually planted. And so as the founding pastor, I had a great deal of allegiance and loyalty to my church. And in fact, saw myself as being there for a long period of time. And in fact, living out my life in pastoral leadership in that congregation. I also had responded to God's call many years before and had committed myself to pastoral ministry. I had never really seriously considered anything other than pastoral leadership as the expression of God's call in my life. Well, in 1994, I went for a routine insurance physical and was discovered to have cancer. Now, at the same time that I was going through that process, a search committee from the Northwest Baptist Convention contacted me and asked if I would interview with them to become the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention. Now, denominational leadership was uh, certainly uh, something I valued, but it was something that was far removed from my frame of reference. I had no interest or idea that I would ever do anything like that. And so, I, I, was, uh, I, I was really unwilling in some ways to even consider the option. Uh, but through the process of having cancer and the process of the committee talking with me, I, I finally decided to at least open myself to the opportunity. So I sent the committee some background material and some uh, you know, information about my ministry and really thought that would be the end of it. I, I was far too young uh, to be considered for that position. I, I had small children, which would be very difficult to manage our family with all the travel involved. I, I'd never even been the moderator of a Baptist association or any kind of meeting like that. I had no idea what it would be like to be the executive leader of a state convention. I, I, I just knew that uh, it probably wasn't for me. Well, I went through the cancer process that spring, and uh, finally it was determined that I had to have a surgery to remove uh, what they thought would be a benign tumor. So I had that surgery, and uh, three days later, uh, five days later, the doctor called me and said, uh, you have cancer. And in fact, it's serious enough that you have to have a second surgery today, and uh, that means everything I've told you about future risks that is at play. You you might never speak again. You, you uh, may have some other difficulties physically uh, that will be residual from the cancer. Uh, the surgeries themselves will cause changes in your body that you'll have to take medication the rest of your life. Um, so all of that was going through my mind. It was a very emotionally difficult time. Well, I went for the, to the hospital uh, the second, for the second surgery, and I was told to report to the, uh, you know, and, and be ready, and I would be tacked on to the end of the surgical day, and so I had a lot of time to wait and think that day. But finally, uh, they, they came and got me and took me to a little side room near the operating room. And uh, the nurse said, I'm going to leave you here and uh, let you just have a few quiet moments because we'll be coming for you to take you into surgery very soon. So I lay there thinking and praying. And I prayed something like this. I said, Father, um, I don't understand why this is happening to me. Uh, we prayed I, I wouldn't have cancer, and now I have cancer. We, we prayed I wouldn't have to have surgery, and now I'm having two surgeries. Uh, we prayed that none of these uh, side effects would be evident, but now it looks like I'm going to have all of them. And then I prayed very humbly and sincerely, Father, why, why is this happening to me? Now, understand the nature and tone of that prayer. I wasn't belligerently asking God why he was letting something like this happen to me, his special child that didn't deserve any suffering or difficulty. No, that wasn't the question. The question was an honest question of asking, 
for God to reveal his purpose for why he was allowing this to happen because I believed there was a good purpose and I wanted to discover it. So I prayed, Father, why is this happening to me? Well, what happened next? I, I can only really describe. I felt the presence of God fill the room. It, it, was, uh, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And God communicated to me as clearly as I'm speaking to you right now. And he said, Jeff, you belong to me. You do not belong to your future, to your family, or your church. You belong to me. And I'll take you into uh, what I will, and, and I'll bring you out of what I will. You belong to me. And so I then prayed a, a second prayer. I said, Father, does this mean I'm, I'm leaving my church and and I'm going to serve you at the convention in, in new ways I never imagined. And the same response came back, Jeff, be ready, you belong to me. And as soon as that second uh, impression came, the presence of God uh, left the room. And I lay there getting ready for that surgery, thinking to myself, well, I don't know what just happened to me, but I do know that I'll soon be leaving my church. I believe I will become the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention. And my life will never be the same after this moment. That's exactly what happened. Now, it was a process. The executive board of the convention did have a thorough interviewing process and then uh, a vetting process and then quite a bit of dialogue and debate before they eventually selected me. But nevertheless, even though the process still had to be honored, I was confident through it all that God had called me in a sudden experience to a new assignment for him leaving behind what he had called me to do previously, which was pastor of the church, and moving to a new assignment of being the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention. So God still calls today through sudden experiences. Well, a second way that God calls are through reasoned decisions. Or you might also call this a contemplative process or a contemplative process. God calls through reasoned decisions, meaning that God calls sometimes when we simply uh, think through a process, work through a process, strategize through a process, and come to a conclusion of what he wants us to do that way. Now, there are some examples of this in the Bible. One of my favorites is in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. The Bible says that Paul was wandering around Asia Minor trying to figure out where he was supposed to be. Interesting phrases. It says he tried to go into one place, but the Spirit of Jesus would not let him. And another place, it says he was prohibited uh, by the Spirit from advancing there. And I've often wondered, how did that happen or why did that happen? Didn't God want the gospel in those places and didn't he want Paul to go everywhere? The answer is uh, yes, he wanted the gospel there, but apparently he didn't want to take it there through Paul. He kept thwarting him. And this was not a quick process. If you read the text and look at a map, you'll see that this involved weeks and weeks of walking and wondering where God was leading the team. So a reasoned process, uh, trying a lot of different opportunities, investigating a lot of possibilities, in effect, wandering around trying to discover what God wants you to do. That is still a reality for some of us today. And then another example of this reasoned decision is Paul's ultimate uh, opportunity to get to Rome. In Acts chapter 19, uh, verse 21, God told Paul very clearly that he was going to Rome, but he was thwarted from getting there. He was held up by Roman rulers who kept him in prison and wouldn't let him progress until finally Paul, after all those years of frustration, 
realized the only way he would be able to fulfill God's calling was using a reasoned process and the legal uh, means available to him. He appealed to Caesar and was therefore transported to Rome in response to God's call. So these are two examples of people who went through what I call a reasoned decision or a contemplative or a contemplative process. It's where you think through all the options. You work on the pros and the cons, the good and the bad, the, the implications and the applications, and you make flow charts and, and a SWOT analysis charts, and you make a pro and con lists, and you work through all of that process while you're talking to your friends and your family members, your spouse, your mentor. You're trying to reason through to a decision of what God wants you to do. Now, I had a, a call process like this when I became a church planter. I was a pastor of a traditional but a fairly healthy church in the Midwest. I'd been there for about six and a half years. Uh, I could have stayed for a lot longer. There was much to do in that community, but through the process of uh, a doctoral program and studying the great need of church planting in the western United States, I came to be convinced that God was uh, calling me to move to the western United States to a major city to plant what I describe as a culture current church. Well, as I was working through all of that, uh, it was quite a struggle. Uh, as I said, it was prompted by doctoral studies, and so that went on for months and months as I researched and read and thought and prayed and, and uh, discussed all that I was learning about church planting in the West. And then another aspect of it was uh, discussing with my, my wife what this would mean for her and for our family and for our children. And particularly during this process, my wife was pregnant. So it was a discussion about not only all that we were experiencing, but all that we might be experiencing as another child joined our family. And then there was also the discussions about how this would impact the church I was leaving. I, I wasn't being forced to leave and had no urgency about leaving. And I had a ministry going there that had many commitments and dreams and plans. And so there was a lot of discussion and a lot of dialogue about what would this mean to the church that I was leaving. So I'm working on doctoral studies. I'm working on family issues. I'm working on ministry issues. And I'm also thinking about, uh, for example, how does this opportunity to plant a church in the West line up with my gift mix and with my skill set and with my desires for how God might can use me in the future? And I was making, frankly, list after list, creating uh, uh, chart after chart, uh, trying to work through and discover what God wanted me to do. Now, all this time, I'm also praying I'm reading the Bible. I'm hoping for some insight to come through my devotional time. I'm hoping for someone to say something in a sermon or a, 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 a message that I would hear that I would just know God was calling me. But frankly, none of that ever happened. Finally, after months of this, my wife and I were talking one night, and I was going over it all again and again and again. And she just blurted out, Jeff, just pick a place. Just decide. <laughs> now, if you've ever met my wife, you know how out of character this is. My wife is sweet and kind and gentle. And for her to just make an exclamation like that was quite startling to me. And it helped me to understand that I had pushed this decision-making process about as far as I could. That there was never going to be one fact or factor which was the deciding one, which made it all perfectly clear that ultimately I was going to have to make a reasoned decision where I considered the the, the, the total of everything that had to be factored in, and then I made a judgment call on really what had the preponderance of the weight of the decision behind it. And that's what I finally did. And so uh, I finally made the decision that what was the best use of my 
talents and my gifts and my skills, the best expression of my ministry calling and my ministry passion, uh, the best fulfillment of the need that I had discovered and that I felt that had to be answered and had to be met, uh, all of that combined to help me make a reasoned decision. I never had a particular moment in a devotional time. Uh, I never had a message that I heard which really brought the issue to a conclusion. And I never had one of those sudden experiences like I described a few moments ago that convinced me that God was calling me to actually leave the pastorate and to go to work for the Northwest Baptist Convention. No, in this case, it was purely a reasoned decision. Well, there's at least one other way that God calls, and that is through the prompting of others or what I sometimes call a community initiative. So there's a sudden experience or a crisis experience, a reasoned decision or a contemplative process, and now the prompting of others, a community initiative, meaning the church or Christian community takes the initiative. Are there biblical examples of this? Yes, there are. In the Old Testament, one of the best is Samuel choosing David. Samuel arrived, uh, asked to see uh, all of the young men in the family, filed them by, and not one of them was the one God was selecting. He asked, do you have any more sons? Well, there's the one, the young guy, he's watching the flocks right now, bring him in. And when the youngest son, David, came into the presence of Samuel, he fell down and said, you're the anointed one, you're going to be the king. This was clearly an example of God using another person to communicate a calling to someone, in this case, David. It also happened in the New Testament. Uh, in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, there's a story of a worship service at the church at Antioch. It's an exciting service because it was the service from which the very first missionary team was appointed. The very first time that the church sent intentional missionaries uh, to spread the gospel in other places happened as a result of this particular worship service. And there's a phrase in the text that's pretty significant. The phrase says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, for the work I have for them to do. Now, notice the Holy Spirit said to the church, apparently, or to the church leaders, that they were to tell Paul and Barnabas they were to go on a mission trip. There's no indication in the text that the Spirit's impression came to Paul and Barnabas. No, instead, it came to the church, which then directed these two men to leave and to, perform, or to, to work as a missionary team. Now, that's a significant uh, a statement of Scripture because, quite frankly, most of the time, uh, we want call to be a personal experience and an individual experience. But in this case, it was clearly the, the initiative of the community that prompted the first missionaries to be sent. Now, what does this look like today? Well, um, when I was working as the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention, I started developing a relationship with Golden Gate, now Gateway Seminary. And while I was developing that relationship, I, of course, learned about some of the leadership challenges and opportunities of the seminary and developed a relationship with various people that were connected to the school. So um, as it got nearer to the time that the former president was going to retire, uh, some interesting things started happening to me. Uh, the first uh, person who came to me and mentioned that I should be the next president of Gateway Seminary was actually a good friend of mine. Uh, he was a f also an executive director of a western state, and he and I were attending a meeting together in Nashville. 
uh, we went out on a break to walk around the block and, uh, you know, just get uh, perked up a bit. We came back to the building, but before we went in, he put his hand on the door and said, hey, before we go in, I want to say something to you. I said, sure. He goes, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the future of uh, Gateway Seminary, and I think that you should be the next president there, and I want you to pray about that and start getting ready to do that. Well, I laughed and said, I thought we were friends, man. Why would you, why would you think I would be good in a job like that, or why would you want me to be in a, in a difficult, challenging position like that? He said, Jeff, we're not going in this building until you take me seriously. I really believe God wants you to do this, and I think you should start praying about it and start getting ready for it. And I said, well, I, I guess I'll, I'll do that, but, but they have a president, and I don't see that happening, so thank you, but I, I understand what you're saying, but I just, I just can't see it. So we went on in the building, and about six months later, uh, another person called me, a, a prominent leader in the West, and said, Jeff, I, I want to tell you something. I I've had this impression that I've had thy beliefs from God. I can't seem to shake it, and I'm supposed to call and tell you about it. I said, well, what is it? He said, I think you may be the next president of our seminary, and, and I want you to be praying about that and getting ready for it. Well, I, I thought, what is this? An, another person calling me like this. Well, over the two years leading up to the retirement of the previous president, 10 different people approached me and told me this same thing. And these were not flippant comments. These were not uh, people coming to me and saying, you know, God told me and, and there's no discussing it. No, these were humble, committed, uh, sincere leaders that I respected and trusted who, who came to me and said, Jeff, God is impressing me about this and I just feel the, that it's important that I tell you this or that I communicate this to you. So by the time I, uh, the president before me retired and, it was, and the search process started, I had had a number of people come to me and say they felt like I should be the next president of Golden Gate, now Gateway Seminary. This was still troubling for me. I, I didn't really know what to do about that, but then when the board contacted me and said, we'd like to interview you, I felt, well, God, maybe you are speaking to me through the church. By now, I had developed this material I'm teaching you today, and I had, I had learned that sometimes God does prompt through the church or through other leaders but it had never happened to me, and frankly, I was a little put off by it. I'm, I'm an individualist. I, I'm kind of an independent-minded person. I, I don't like other people telling me what to do. And I was reluctant to accept what this, this input was coming to me as counsel, but I felt like that I needed to at least respond to it. And then I said, God, if you really want me to do this, then you're going to have to speak through the board because that's the ultimate community that gets to decide who's the president and who God is calling to be the president. And so, God, if you speak to them and through them, I will respond to you and I will go to the seminary. So that's exactly what happened. Eventually, the board voted overwhelmingly uh, to call me to be the next president, and I've been doing that now for the last 13 years. And I'm here today not because I had a sudden experience with God or even a reasoned decision. I've jokingly often said no reasonable person would ever think God was calling them to be a seminary president. But I never had a sudden experience or a reasoned process. Instead, it was really through the prompting of others, through the community of Christian leaders in the Western United States, and then, more specifically, the community of Christian leaders being the board of trustees of our school, which said to me, God is calling you. And we're asking you to say yes to that call. Well, these are the three ways that I see God communicates his callings, uh, both in the Bible and in, in modern ex or contemporary experience. 
Uh, God calls through sudden experiences, reasoned decisions, and the prompting of others. You might also call these crisis experiences, contemplative processes, or community initiatives. God still calls these ways. There's ample biblical evidence for each of these, and I think ample uh, contemporary examples of each of these to show that they're still valid today. Now, I've taught this in a number of contexts, a number of conferences, and I've actually written a book entitled, Is God Calling Me?, which uh, has this material in it. But as I've taught this in various places, whether it's a classroom or a conference, I've always ended this presentation by taking a quick survey. I'll ask, when it comes to your... Uh, universal call to Christian service and growth. How many of you had a sudden experience? How many of you had a reasoned decision? How many of you had a prompting of others type call? And it's uncanny. It's almost always a third, a third, a third. Now, if it's a really small group, those numbers might be skewed just a bit. But in a larger group, it's almost always a third, a third, a third on how people have experienced God's call. And when I repeat the survey again on this issue of a general call to ministry leadership, and I say, how many of you, if you've had a general call to ministry leadership, and of course that's a much smaller number of people, if you've had that kind of call, how many of you, and I go through the three options again, and it's almost always uncanny that it's almost always a third, a third, a third. So what I would say is that God still calls. As I described in last week's podcast, God calls through different ways, or excuse me, different types. Now today, different ways. And he's still working to communicate his call. And if you're in the process of experiencing this, I want you to think back through this material and just see if you can discern more carefully today if God is calling you by one of these three ways. Now, one more section in the next podcast about God's call, and that is discerning God's call. How do you know if one of these things is really happening to you? And are there some checks and balances we can put into place that help us to discern that more carefully? I think there are, and we'll talk about that next time.